Good morning. Uh, today's verse is taken from Romans 13, Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. There ends chapter 13, verse 8 to 14. Thanks so much, Leslie and Rosalina. Thank you for both sharing in our service. So Romans, today we come to our end of our post Pentecost reflections. Through Pentecost, we were thinking of the breath of God, being aware of God's breath to us. And then since then, we've been carrying on in Romans, thinking in terms of what are some of the applications of, of that for us. So today, we end with this piece on love. Love, the fulfillment of the law. I've used this story before, but I like it. This is by Anthony DeMello. DeMello was a Christian and a Catholic, and he lived actually much of his life in India. And so he came uh, to really appreciate the use of stories in making his points. Um, in the East, they often just tell stories. They're not kind of working propositionally like we do here. It's a story, and you think about it, and you go from there. So this one I've used before, but I quite like it. Last year on Spanish television, I heard a story about this gentleman who knocks on his son's door. Jamie, he says, wake up. Jamie answers, I don't want to get up, Papa. The father shouts, get up, you have to go to school. Jamie says, I don't want to go to school. Why not, asks the father. Three reasons, says Jamie. First, because it's so dull. Second, the kids tease me. And third, I hate school. The father says, well, I'm going to give you three reasons why you must go to school. First, because it is your duty. Second, because you are 45 years old. And third, because you are the headmaster. Linda Mello ends, wake up, wake up, you're grown up, you're too big to be asleep, wake up, stop playing with your toys. 
So interesting that uh, Paul here invites us to wake up. So what does he mean when he says wake up? Why say that? We need to wake up. So the text that uh, Leslie read really speaks about two pieces. The first piece is that of God's love for us and our love for one another. We'll look at that. And then in terms of our call to wake up. So I think both are useful for us. So a couple of scriptures. These are the two key ones. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, Paul says. Remember Paul speaking as a Jew? He was a Pharisee. And Pharisees knew the rule of the law. They, they knew that. They were devoted to it. But he says love has fulfilled the law. Verse four, or 11, besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. So Bart talks about love, loving one another as the great positive possibility. Great German theologian. So love is the great positive possibility. It's to be the direction in our lives. It's this possibility of love. You and I can choose to do that or we cannot. That's why it's a possibility. We have to choose it to make it real for us. So we're invited here to love one another. He talks about love in this way. Love of the neighbor is love for him or her in his strange, irritating, distinct createdness and constitution. I like that. Strange, irritating, distinct Createdness. Do you find anybody irritating? Come on, do you find anybody irritating? Yeah, sure you do. Irritating people in the buildings you have or beside you. We've had a couple of irritating neighbors over the years. Beth gets into ongoing fights with them. <laughs> and I have to be the peacemaker to figure things out. <laughs> Not so much now. <laughs> Strange, irritating, distinct createdness and constitution. And then I like this. Love is the breath we breathe when in the realm of evil we have no breath left. It's quite beautiful. So we're called to love. Goes on, verses 9, 10. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet... And any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So you hear the repetition of the word love there, agape, five times between verses 8 to 10. Love, 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 love. And so there are indeed five different aspects that Paul is focusing on here. We'll just touch on them briefly. So love is a great interpersonal force, meaning it's this great possibility. We have the option to love our neighbors even when they're irritating to us. 
We have that possibility. We can do that. Or we might not. We can show love in our community here as a fellowship or not. Love is this great interpersonal force if we choose to do it. The poem by the American poet slips my mind at the moment, well-known chap, Robert Frost. Beth knows this one. Mending work. And in this poem, Mending Work, there's a conversation, if you like, within the poem. And one says, something there is that doesn't love a wall. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. First person is musing, I don't like fences. I don't like walls. I like it nice and wide open. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. Then the other character, if you like, in the poem, the contrast, he says, or she says, good fences make good neighbors. You ever heard that line? Good fences make good neighbors. And so there's this contrast in Mended Wall between these two ideas. I don't like walls. Something about walls I don't like, one person says. The other person says, well, we need fences. Good fences make good neighbors. How about the little farm that uh, we have down in Prince Edward County? There haven't been any fences where we are. And just recently, the neighbor who's over a bit decided to put up a wire fence. Just did it. And his, his reason for doing it is he has a dog, and he doesn't want the dog to be wandering all around. So I don't know if that's the real reason or not, but anyway, he decided to put up his fence. So when I first saw it, I thought, well, I don't really like that. I kind of like the open look. But it is wire, so you don't have that much of a barrier. But then on the other hand, I thought to myself, well, you know what, he is a bit irritating. So uh, he is one of these irritating neighbors, okay? He thinks the same about me. So at that point, I'm thinking, well, I don't mind the fence, actually. So I have this internal debate. Well, it's there now, and I've got to learn how to live with it. So that's, that's it. But love is this great possibility. So what, uh, you know, what about us, right? We can be this great presence of love or not. You see, we can, we can be out and about, you in your area, we as a church, whatever, wherever it is. Or we can be building fences and keeping barriers. So love is the great possibility. So there is that first piece. The great possibility of living with no walls. Love as the rule. Secondly, love, we're told, fulfills the law. The emphasis on filling, overflowing. Love is abundance. And so for Paul, it's interesting, the law, the law is the minimum of what is needed. The minimum, we need that. But love is the maximum. Love, the law says this, but love will go, no, no, it's this. It's way more. And so love fulfills the law. 
sense of abundance, the feeding miracles of Jesus when he feeds the 5,000. That's all about the abundance of the kingdom of God, going beyond just the rules. Fulfillment, number two. Number three, verse nine, just each time the word love appears. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here is a, you know, it's a, it's a love that's demanding. Love your neighbor. Love the irritating neighbor. There's positive power even as you love yourself. It doesn't mean you diminish yourself here. It doesn't mean that you knock yourself down. That's not the point. But love the other even as you do indeed love yourself. You take care of yourself. So take care of the other person as well. Verse 10, love is active, it's not just a feeling. There's so much talk about love, right? I mean, everybody talks about it. All the movies, are, they're always talking about love. Typically, it's romantic love, and that romantic love is a feeling, basically. And, we, and, and it's, it's all over the place. So people use the language of love and admire love. It's a very positive thing as people see it. But Paul is saying terms of the scriptures is not just a feeling, it's beyond a feeling, it is active, it is energy, it's acting even when it costs you something. That's the whole idea of agape love. C.S. Lewis has the great book, Four Loves. Different words for love used in Greek, and agape is finally the love that is usually used in the New Testament, speaking of Christ's love, which is a sacrificial love. You sacrifice even for yourself. My blog recently, I wrote about a small light, and a small light is the story of the Anne Frank family uh, taking care of a family of eight all the way through two years, actually, of, of World War II in Amsterdam. And she had to sacrifice herself over and over and over to take care of this family, the family of Anne Frank. Anne was only a girl, a young girl at that time, I think 14. So that family, and there's a scene where she sees, this is in the midst of the Nazi repression in Amsterdam at those days, the very dark days. She sees some red shoes in a store, and they're dress shoes. And Anne is kind of growing up, right? And she thinks that she's, she's attracted to her, her, one of the boys that's living in the, the home with them, another family. And she thinks that maybe she loves him. And she kind of hopes that he loves her. So she's just kind of musing on this. She gets beyond that. But anyway, Anne sees some red shoes in a store, and she decides, just to give Anne a bit of hope, that she will buy these red shoes, which cost her a lot, and give them to Anne, even though Anne will just be walking around the upstairs where they're hiding. And as the story goes, Anne never does get to wear them. But at the time, it's a sacrificial act which gives Anne a lot of hope. The red shoes give hope. And it was sacrificial love on the part of Meep, the caregiver there. So love is, love is an action, not just a feeling, right? 
And then finally, we have to jump ahead to chapter um, 14, and it reads this way. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Paul's jumping onto another theme here. You are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. But I like the phrase, you are no longer walking, walking in love. So walking in love means to care for the other. To care for your neighbor, to care for your brother or sister, to care for the other congregant, our friends here in the church. So it's this caring dimension. So you put all that together, and that's what we come up with, five parts of love. This great interpersonal force, it's a possibility. It goes beyond the law. It's goodwill to the neighbor. It's an act of power, not just a feeling. And it is caring for the other. This is the word agape. So Paul, write this, what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, what? The greatest of these is love. He talks about not conforming to the world, but being transformed. Well, for Paul, how are we transformed? Ultimately, we're transformed by love. It's love that transforms us. It's love that will transform our world. Imagine our future world. Christ returns. And love is the prominent theme throughout the entire globe. What a world that would be. It's 13, well, not 13, what do we have now? forget how many billions we have, nine, no, seven, I guess it's seven, seven and a half, almost eight. Eight billion. Imagine if we were all living in love, really love. Well, then there wouldn't be wars. There wouldn't be this war in Russia and Ukraine. They'd be trying to figure out, okay, we have needs, you have needs, how do we figure this out? You wouldn't be bombing each other because that's not love. Whatever size you are on that, whatever, right? It's not love to be bombing one another. Innocents are dying, forget it. You cannot say that's love. So we'd be trying to figure it out. And right now we don't. We go quickly to hate. It's the, world, the way of the world. You hit me, I hit you back. You bomb me, I bomb you back. That's the way it goes. Jesus says, no, you slap one cheek, you turn the other cheek. It's, a, it's another whole way of living. It just jumps way up, right? This is Christ. This is his teaching. A way of love. And the leadership in Israel had a hard time with it, and what happens? They end up crucifying him. They kill the guy. Because they can't handle his message of love. It's too challenging. So then, where do we go with that as we move to the second point? What is your preoccupation today? What are you thinking about? What gives you energy today? What, are, what is grabbing your attention? Before you came to church, you woke up, what, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about this week? What's on your mind? So we've got to ask ourselves that. Something's there. What is occupying you right now in your mind? You go to work, half the time we're not even thinking about our work. Something else is on our mind. What is that? So Paul is saying, in what way then do we need to wake up? Where are we stuck, if you like? How do we get unstuck? 
What is our preoccupation? How do we move beyond it? So you can hold on that. Think about that. Besides this, then, we go back to that verse. You know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. Wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The dad says to Jamie, wake up. We are invited to wake up, Paul says. So firstly, then, we're to arouse ourselves. We're to open the eyes of our heart, Paul says in Ephesians. Wake up, man. You're going through, like you're just kind of going through the motions. That's how we often end up. The psalmist keeps saying, today, 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 if you hear his voice, today, wake up. It's always that call. Salvation is now. Wake up. We saw that in the book of Hebrews. We looked at that recently. So in what way are you invited then to rouse yourself, open your eyes and see the big picture? Often we live our lives with our eyes shut rather than really seeing. So Paul makes that invitation to us. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Rouse yourself and put on the armor of light. Stop living for self. Start living your true self, which is concerned about the other. How does Paul talk about the armor of light? Book of Colossians chapter 3. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves, note with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another, And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And it ends with, above all, clothe yourselves with love. So when Paul, in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, he talks about putting on the armor of God. Here he says, put on the armor of light. And ultimately, the armor of light is love. Love the other. Love even when it costs you. Thirdly, to live in hope. Salvation is nigh. Redemption draweth nigh. When I was 16, had a musical group and we used to sing that one. Redemption draweth nigh. The Lord is returning. This is our hope. Apart from hope, there is despair. So what is your hope? So rouse yourself, put on the armor of love, the armor of light, and here live with some sense of hope rather than despair. That's what Meep was trying to do with Anne Frank when she gave Anne the red shoes. You will get through this. We will get to the other side of the war. These red shoes are a symbol of that. They almost made it to the end of the war. Then a neighbor turned them in. Imagine that, a neighbor turned them in. Some neighbor didn't act in love, turned them in. So where do we go with that? How do we conclude? It's interesting that the word time there is kairos, verse 11. Kairos. It's the time of opportunity. 
You know what time it is. Note that in verse 11. It's kairos. How is now the moment for you to wake from sleep? And so my question for you is what is your opportunity now? What is your kairos moment right now? What is Paul inviting you to wake up to? Not just time as chronos, but kairos. God gives us these opportunities. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what situation you're in, there's some sort of opportunity there, a kairos moment for you and for me. Our invitation is to discover that. Your invitation is to discover what God is inviting you to do now. Now, in your reality, the here and now of your life, my life, what's the Kairos moment for you and for me? That's what we need to wake up to. That's the cutting edge. Rahner talks about times that are eye-to-eye contacts, which he means God's eye and your eye. God's eye sees your eye. Your eye sees God. And in that moment, it's decisive. Your whole life can change in that one eye-to-eye contact, that moment of connection. Everything can change. Kairos. Kairos moment. Paul believed in those moments. And so our invitation is to move out of flat time where every moment is just the same, just chronos, Today, tomorrow, next week, it's all the same, just flat time. Paul says, wake up to Kairos time, where there's this big leap, a big peak, to receive what God has for you and for me, and for our church. What's the Kairos moment for us, collectively? It's an invitation. As we move in this summer, as we move towards the fall, How do we grab that kairos time? How do we love one another? So you have to hear that and receive it. What does it do? Time to wake up. So we'll pause and we'll end with that little reflection. Let's pray, in fact. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are concerned about us that you reach out to us. We are made in your image, and every, every person on the planet is so important to you. Everybody's personality, just slightly different. Everybody has a name. John says we have a name written on a white stone, and it's unique. And you know that name for each of us, Lord, and I pray that for everyone here this morning, that we might sense your call, your invitation to wake up, to wake up what you have for us, this Kairos moment, even as we come to this last Sunday in July, to receive the gift that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the evil one whispers in your ear, There's no Kairos moment. You're stuck now. You're going to be stuck tomorrow. 
That's what he says. Scripture says he's a liar. He's a deceiver. It's not true. We can wake up, be renewed. Really. And that's what we're invited to grab here. So may we grab it.